Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. All right, welcome back. It's another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. To kick off your week, as always, it's Ian Mendes, Haley Salviat, with you in this leadoff spot. Coming up on our podcast today, we'll tee up Game 7, Habs, Leafs. That series has gone from a dud to a classic in the span of a couple of days. Round 2 already underway. We'll examine if the Avs dismantling the Golden Knights uh, on uh, on Sunday makes them the clear-cut favorite for the Stanley Cup at this stage of the game. Biggest storyline of the weekend might not have been playoff-related. Seth Jones, the clock is ticking on his time in Columbus. In Multiple Choice Madness, we'll chat about which franchise has the hardest time holding on to star players. Is it Columbus, Ottawa, Buffalo? And which NHL superstar would help uh, you win a best-of-seven series right now? But Haley... As we uh, we kick off this week, my goodness! If you would have told me when I did the podcast with Sean McIndoe, uh, your apparent your your nemesis on Thursday, and uh, Toronto was up three one, I said, Sean, it's all good. When we get together next week, you're going to be talking about Toronto Winnipeg, and he said, you just don't know this team, man. You just don't know. And can you believe Haley? We're sitting here on the precipice uh, of a game seven Toronto Montreal. Um, no, I mean, I, I mean, yes, I can believe it, but also like, I want to say no, but you, I think we can all, I don't know. I think, and Dom had a perfect tweet for it. Um, and it was, you know, <laughs> the Leafs were outscoring this team, you know, Jack Campbell has had, you know, an incredible save percentage. Um, the Leafs were really dominant in the first four games, but I think, so based on that, you kind of say, like, yeah, it's going to be done. It's going to be Winnipeg series. But deep inside, you know, <laughs> deep inside, you know that that's probably wishful thinking. And, uh, I mean, my dad is a Leafs fan. Um, he's in the, you know, greater Toronto area. And he said to me the other day, he's like, Leafs are going to blow this. I know it. I feel it in my bones. And so that's just, I guess, the mindset of a Leafs fan. It was like, All the good things can happen. They're like, no, no, <laughs> no, don't get excited. So yeah, and I think it's amazing is because obviously you know your dad has seen a lot of things, and I think and you mentioned Dom. We're going to bring him in right now. Dom Luschichin is our uh, you know analytics expert, our our guy that runs all the statistical probabilities on the site. Does just a wonderful job in in forecasting and modeling and and kind of giving every fan an idea 
uh, statistically what's going to happen. And as you, we bring Dom into the, the, the podcast here, uh, you, so much of what you do, Dom, is based on numbers and predictive models. And yet, even though Toronto had, I think in your model, somewhere in the ballpark of an 80% chance of winning this series, you knew in the back of your mind that this could absolutely happen, right? I grew up in Toronto. I watched the Leafs my entire life. Of course, I knew this could happen. I sort of like went along with it before the series. I posted uh, a chart showing the most lopsided series of the past decade. And there were three upsets out of like 19. Two of them were by the Habs. Um, the actual percentage showed that, hey, maybe we're due for another upset. So I just sort of like played along with it. Maybe do like a little reverse reverse curse, but there's no such thing when it comes to this team. You just have to expect that they will screw it up somehow, some way, and make it as agonizing as possible. Being a fan is such a beautiful thing. Is it? <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Even you're, We can hear the pain in your voice, Dom. Mm. And imagine if I like wasn't like already resigned to the fact that this had a chance of happening. Imagine if I was just like full numbers and thought 80% chance this year is going to be different. This is a much better team. There's no need to panic. And I think in my preview, I ended it with Montreal being the kings of playoff chaos and the Leafs being the exact opposite. And in the back of your mind, you always know that this is a possibility. And now here we are, one game to go. Who knows what's going to happen? We all know what's going to happen. We all know. <laughs> okay. So I think one of the biggest storylines from this series, Dom, has been the absence of productivity from Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. And I mean, look, Marner was top five in scoring. Matthews uh, had a, a season to remember in terms of goals per game. And yet they've essentially vanished here in this series. Like, what are you seeing from those two guys? Because I feel like if Toronto loses this series and game seven unfolds the way some people think it might – those two guys are going to be feeling the most heat. So what have you seen or not seen from Matthews and Marner? It's weird because like, you see them in the offensive zone a lot. They are generating chances. They're just not scoring. And it's annoying because that's what they do. They put the puck in the net. They make pretty plays. They terrorize whatever goalie they face. During the season series, Past years, Austin Matthews has had zero trouble beating Carey Price. None at all. And for whatever reason, in this playoff series, he just can't solve them despite having so many chances. Mitch Marner, I can sense, is a lot more frustrating from the sentiment of the Leafs fan base. I think Mitch Marner grew up a Leaf fan. He grew up in Toronto, I think. I don't know his exact hometown, but he obviously is known for being a Leaf fan growing up, and I think more than anything, he wants to be the guy, the hero for this team, and I think that affects his play to an extent where he's trying to do too much, and he's not succeeding in that when he could just simplify his game a bit, and yeah, it's just, I'm not sure what's going to happen if they don't show up in Game 7, but they really need to based on the series they've had because it's not been good enough. And someone like Mitch 
it just seems like he's always making one extra pat, one mm-hmm. extra play or one extra move or just waiting a little bit too long. And I think the frustration comes from, you know, you can see, you know, everyone wants to think that they can do better on their couch. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, watching plays unfold, you can always see like you just held it a little bit too long and there was a play to make here, a play to make there. And it's just doing a little bit too much instead of just simplifying the game and doing what worked all season. Yeah, I I really don't get it. And he has a tendency to get a little too cute sometimes. But if he wants to be this playoff hero, it doesn't matter how the goal looks. It could be the ugliest goal in the world. He will still be celebrated. And mm-hmm. it's just been a, a frustrating series for him and... It all manifested with the uh, the puck over the glass penalty. Uh, I saw a tweet saying he's had six penalties in the playoffs for his career, and five of them have been puck over the glass. Ooh. So I I don't know how that happens to one specific player, but it's probably a mental thing, right? Like like maybe I I'm not sure, but that was the absolute can't say worst he's not time. Skilled. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not like a, oh he's such a plug. Look at him. He's throwing it over the glass. <laughs> so I don't know. It must be something. Uh, Milan Lucic said it about the Flames, but he was always saying, like, it's between the ears. So I guess it's like a mental lapse. It does feel like that for this entire team. You can't say they're not good. You can't say they're not competitive either. They just came back twice from multi-goal deficits in the third period. Last playoffs, they came back from down 3 nothing. They have the competitive drive of the fortitude. They just don't have the killer instinct to get it done until they do. And it's that last thing that they have to just get over the hump. And I think after that, it might be smooth sailing. But right now, there's definitely something blocking them uh, in their mind. You know, you bring up a really interesting point. And I think that is the feeling from a lot of people is they're, they're lacking that killer instinct, the ability to finish off opponents. So let's let's chat a little bit about the idea of bringing John Tavares out for the morning skate on on Monday. Because, you know, this is a guy who obviously was, suffered a, a catastrophic injury in game one. Do you both think that by throwing Tavares out there, even just for the morning skate, it can do something for this group to say, look, maybe John, if he if we this we keep the season alive, John can come back. Or we got to win this for John, a reminder. Like, what, what do you guys think the the rationale was for having John Tavares come out and skate uh, on the morning of Game 7. It definitely feels like a way to get the team's emotions going. Obviously, Tavares is a huge part of the team. He's the captain, and they want to win for him so he can keep playing, and especially after such a devastating injury 10 minutes into the series. I feel like a team as good as the Leafs shouldn't need that. They should just win because they're the better team but if that is what they need then hopefully it works for them yeah I mean I think I agree like your team is should be good enough to not need that kind of boost but again I think John Tavares is so important to the Toronto Maple Leafs and I mean not just the way that he plays but you know what he brings in terms of leadership and rallying that group I think he's a really studying an important presence in that locker room. And, you know, if you're talking about that killer instinct, I mean, that that kind of getting ready to to play by drop of the puck. I mean, the Leafs came out really slow in the last game. 
Um, part of that's on the coach. Part of that's on players. These are professional athletes. You should be ready. But some of that is in your leadership. It's your leaders who set the tone. It's your leaders who, you know, get everyone ready to be there for the drop of the puck. So I think somebody like Tavares is, you know, really important. And um, But again, there's enough skill on this roster that they shouldn't need something like that to get them going. But again, I think that maybe discredits like the importance of leadership. Um, but again, I, I think I see it on both sides. I'm kind of in the middle. You know, they shouldn't need that. But I guess Tavares is just even more important than we thought. Yeah. And, and I think as we talk about like, do they need to get some sort of boost? Do, do either of you think that having 550 fully vaccinated frontline workers who presumably will be Leafs fans, I, I, I think that's the plan is to try to get 500 Leafs fans in into the building for Game 7 Monday night. Does that have any impact? Because I, I will admit it was pretty cool to see the scene in Montreal on on Saturday, but that was 2,500 fans. Uh, 2,500 fans can make some noise. Can one-fifth of that, Dom, can one-fifth of that group make any difference at all? I hope so, because those frontline workers have been through enough. And I've seen that joke a lot during, on Twitter. Uh, everyone has made it, so I'm going to just repeat it for the podcast. Uh, it seems almost cruel to put them through that. So they, they better come through for the frontline workers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I agree. I think um, watching game six with the fans and listening to them sing the anthem, listening, I mean, I know it was a Cockney Emmy goal that, that won game six in overtime, but hearing the crowd, like hearing from the Habs who had the live shot of it in the arena, I mean, I miss that. And, and we've been seeing it across the board. We've been seeing fans, you know, I think Vegas is going to have 100% capacity by game three for game three once fans, once they're at home. We've been seeing it, but I think it's, you know, because we're Canadian, it hits a little closer to home to see people in Canadian arenas. So, you know, 550 is not the same as 2,500, but, um, you know, I think that should give them a boost, especially like Tom said, they've been through enough. Um, Dom, one of the things that I think we wanted to ask you too, you know, <laughs> you grew up in Toronto. Is this the biggest, if they lose – this game, is this the biggest collapse in franchise history? Myrtle did a great column saying that, make no mistake, this would be. Where do you stand on that? Uh, absolutely, yes. And I think Myrtle nailed it with his column because 2013, no one expected that team to do anything. Uh, they were already down 3-1. They're sort of like the Habs in that, series because Boston was this heavily favored team. They went up 3-1 and they sort of choked themselves and they lost game five and game six and then game seven they went down 4-1. Imagine if the Leafs go down 4-1 tonight and come back and everything comes full circle. Would Imagine anybody feel so but like if the Leafs are down 4-1, would anyone actually think that they have a chance to like do the reverse? It was 4-1. Like people would just be like, no. The only thing <laughs> I can safely say is that when the Leafs have their backs against the wall, they will find a way. Because we just saw them do it twice in a row. Whether they can finish the Habs off after doing so, I'm not sure. But it does seem to have the opposite feeling where the Leafs are in the, the Bruins shoes in this situation, but the Leafs weren't expected to do anything. And I don't, uh, obviously that collapse was painful because they were 
so close. Mm-hmm. I was in Maple Leaf Square for that. Um, you, as soon as they went up 4-1, you could feel some tension as the Bruins were like mounting the comeback. Um, this feels pain. very, yeah, pain. <laughs> um, collective pain of like 20,000 people outside. Um, yeah. This is a lot different because the Leafs have expectations this year. This is probably the best chance they will have to win a cup with this core just based on the playoff path they have because mm-hmm. next year it'll be Tampa, Boston, Florida again, and it'll be very difficult to even get to the second or third round based on that. Uh, two years ago, or was it two years ago? Yeah. Where they were up three, two against Boston. Um, yeah. Lost game six and seven. It was a close series. I think everyone expected 50-50. Everyone expected Game 7. It's not as big of a collapse. There's obviously other games here and there, but this is the most important. They were up 3-1 the series to a far inferior team. They had three chances to knock them out, two of them at home. There is no doubt this would be the biggest collapse. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing, too, is, you know, in 2013, you look at the, not only were they not expected to do anything, but it wasn't like the the core that we're looking at right now. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was Bozak and Kessel and was James Van Riemsdyk and Nazem Kadri. It was a completely different Leafs team. Whereas this year, you know, it's the core that they've been trying to build towards. And this is now what, the fifth year with this group with, you know, this is Austin's fifth season, Marner, Nylander. You know, Kyle Dubas has tried the kind of uh, like small and skilled players. And then this year he went out and got some veterans and he got some bigger players. I don't know if you can look at this and blame Kyle Dubas if something goes wrong because he's kind of given them, in my opinion, I think they have enough, like they have the blueprint there. I know you probably don't agree with some of the deadline moves that were made, Dom, but Mm. I think I don't know if you can really point the finger at anyone except for the core because this is the fifth year that you've had an opportunity and they can potentially squander it in the easiest and best path that they've had. Yeah, and the thing is, is that the Leafs lose. It is a peak shit happens series. They have outscored the Habs. They have (laughs) outplayed them in nearly every game except game six. They've been the better team. They are ahead in literally every category except for hits. So whatever, who cares about that? And if they lose, that is just the way it goes sometimes. But the thing is, when it's been five years and it's still a team that can't get it done, shit happens, does not matter. Get it done. Stop making it happen. But Okay, but here's, here's the counter to that, okay? And you look at Washington. And they had a core with Alex Ovechkin and Nick Backstrom and some other guys. Uh, and their window kind of opened in 2008, 2009. And they went through it every year. Like, you'll never win with Ovi. You'll never win with Ovi. And then guess what? Finally, they did. And, and I'll, I'll even use this latest iteration of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Remember, Tampa Bay went through some catastrophic uh, playoff losses in kind of the, we'll call it the Stamkos-Hedman era. Before they got it done. And I guess my point, my only counterpoint would be sometimes it's not the Pittsburgh, Chicago model where your young guns win in their early 20s and you create a dynasty. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer, right? And so I would be a little bit hesitant if I was Toronto to take some, a stick of dynamite in the offseason and blow this sucker up. 
I that that's just me because I would look at Washington and I would look at Tampa and say sometimes you need to stick with it. But I also understand the frustration of the fans who are like, we're never going to win with these guys. And if I can jump in first too, Dom, because I know you probably have something to say. And again, going back to the fact that I cover the Flames, like that is something that some Flames fans have raised as well. It's like, well, like look at Washington, look at Tampa. What about this Flames core? And, you know, the difference with Washington specifically is they weren't consistently losing in the first round or not qualifying. Like they were losing in round two, the Eastern Conference final to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like they couldn't get past, you know, not every single year, but, you know, Typically, the kind of conversation was like, oh, it's Crosby and Ovechkin and Ovi can't get past them. And that's what made, you know, the year that they won so great was they finally, you know, got over the hump, which was the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like that was the major hurdle for the Washington Capitals, whereas this Leafs team can't even get out of the first round. So I think it's different. Um, like, yeah, I don't know what you think, Dom, but I, I was going to say the same thing. Tampa Bay made it to the conference finals. They made it to the finals. They won playoff rounds. Yeah. The Capitals could not get out of the second round, and once they finally did, they won the, the cup final, but yeah. they won playoff rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, Ovechkin showed up. He was yeah. the same superstar he was during the regular season, during the playoffs, and we have not seen that level of play out of Matthews and Marner in the playoffs yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm with you, Ian. I don't think the answer is blowing it up because... We saw how long it took, how long the Capitals were set back after that Canadians loss back in 2010. If they stuck the course, maybe the things were different next year, but they completely changed their philosophy and it took another seven years after that. And I don't want to wait another seven years, but at the same time, if they lose this series, something is wrong. And I, I don't even know what you do at that point. I've had this discussion with friends. Uh, like, what do you do? Because it feels like any move is the wrong one. Well, and you can't just make change for the sake of change. Yeah. Um, unless, unless there's a deal on the table that you can move somebody out that makes your team better, it doesn't make sense to make changes. And the answer is not blowing it up. Like I've seen some people say, like, if they lose, blow it up. The score's done, blow it up. It's like, what are you talking about? No, mm-hmm. let's not do that. But you you want to make changes. But again, like, it, you don't just make a change because you need a shakeup, like, because you're going to be operating from a loss unless you can move Mitch Marner for Jack Eichel. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what what moves are there? And I think, you know, it's it's – probably way too soon to be having that kind of discussion, but it is a tricky situation because it's like, what do you do if they lose again? Do you just say it's a young team still and they're, they're going to take some time or do you decide to make some drastic changes? Because there's value not, in these yeah. players, but I mean, when you're trading a star player like that, you're probably not going to win it. Yeah, you're not going to win that trade and I do not envy uh, Kyle Dubas if the Leafs lose because he did what he could. This is a very strong team. And I think all he really needed was to bring an exorcist in because that is what this team needs. Full out exorcism. You know, I, listen, I, I we want to keep you for a couple more minutes, uh, Dom, just to chat about some other stories and angles from around the league. And one thing. Oh, other teams. Great. There are, Love that. There are <laughs> other teams. and you know, There are. But there's also other. This is the athletic hockey show Leafs edition. Yeah. And. <laughs> You know, though, 
one thing I did want to bring up with you, and I, I'm a really big fan of your writing, Dom. I really, I really appreciate your ability to marry analytics with kind of just good writing and kind of marrying the two things. Your piece so on he the doesn't watch the games on, on the refereeing and the inconsistency was one of the best things I've read in the hockey world in the calendar year 2021, and I loved it. It was bang on. It was accurate, and I'm just curious. Of all the things that you've ever written, I know you've gotten a lot of traction and stuff. Is that near the top of the list of like conversations that were generated from that feedback that you got? Um, like, cause that, that certainly uh, just sparked a huge discussion on social media last week. Yeah. I really was not expecting it to land like that. I feel like I've complained about refereeing, in literally any game I watch, because it's always awful to me. Uh, I just don't understand what is and isn't a call sometimes. And I'll get like retweets and likes, but then I'll also get people saying that the refs are fine or whatever and let them play, all that stuff. And during the playoffs, it just seems to get worse and worse. And it seems to hurt skilled teams especially. Um, I think that is an underrated aspect of uh, the other team we were just talking about mm-hmm. not succeeding the playoffs. Um, but yeah, it was, I saw the, the Oilers-Jets game the night before. I watched overtime. I bet on the Jets and I could not believe what they were getting away with. It was absolutely insane. There were like six or seven penalties that I thought could have been called and after Kaylor Yamamoto got a penalty in the first per- or first overtime, I thought, okay, this is the standard. And then I kept seeing that there was no standard. Anything would go. And I saw the tweets that Conor McDavid didn't draw a single penalty during the entire series. And I thought, this is bullshit. This is enough. I need to say something. And I messaged uh, our editor, Ian Denemy, and said, can I write about the refs today? And he said, yes, please, God. Yes. <laughs> And I literally just, like, usually what I write takes, like, research and numbers and all that. I just sat down at a computer for, like, two or three hours and just vented onto the screen. And somehow uh, it really uh, struck a chord with a lot of people. I don't think I've ever had an article shared that much. I don't think I've ever had a article have as many comments as that one did. I think it was around, like, 1,200 comments on the site is just insane and mostly overwhelmingly positive too in terms of people saying, yeah, this is trash. I can't believe we put up with this. Final question for you here as we kind of wrap up. Uh, heading into the Stanley Cup playoffs, you, it, what are your models? You talked about just how much of a favorite the Colorado Avalanche were going to be. That, you know, we often don't see a team this heavily favored to be the champion. And I got to tell you, five games into this for Colorado, boy – you probably feel even more bullish on the Avs. How are you feeling after they absolutely beat down the Golden Knights uh, in the opener on uh, on Sunday? That was disgusting to watch. <laughs> that is that is a hockey team. I, I don't think I've seen a better team in my lifetime. Um, I saw a tweet from Jay Fresh about this being the best team since the 2007-2008 Red Wings, and I think this one's better. Uh, they are so fast, so skilled. 
gritty too. They have it all. They can win anyway, but they choose to win by completely demoralizing you. And the way they possess the puck, the way they pass the puck is just second to none in this league. And they're just so fun to watch. And I can only hope that other teams try to copy the avalanche model and say, this is the way to go because it is such an entertaining brand of hockey. I was a little nervous when my model had them as such overwhelming cup favorites right from the get-go, but I think we're seeing that right now after them completely dismantling an elite Vegas team. Like, this isn't a run-of-the-mill playoff team. This is another top-five team, and they made them look like they don't belong in this league at all. Uh, Where does Nathan McKinnon rank for you, Dom? Because you had your player rankings with Craig Cussens at the beginning of the season, uh, and you had Connor McDavid kind of in a tier of his own. Where does Nate McKinnon rank for you right now after seeing what he's done this season and so far in the playoffs? Well, we we actually didn't have McDavid in a tier of his own at the start. Um, and I truly hope that sparked McDavid to say, no, I'm in a tier of my own. I will show you. But one of the reasons we had McKinnon in that tier as well right, as... because you his, had McDavid and McKinnon in A, 1A, and, and Matthews. And Matthews in 1A. Yeah. And I think the only difference now is McDavid is in a tier of his own. But the reason McKinnon is as high as he is is because of his playoff performance, the way he ups his game in the postseason from an already high standard is incredible to witness. And we have not seen that from McDavid in his short playoff career. We haven't really seen that from Matthews either. McKinnon is a special kind of beast in the playoffs. And that might be because the team surrounding him is much better than Edmonton or Toronto, but he really does elevate his game. And I think he's not as good as McDavid, but he's number two for me. Well, listen, Dom, we we appreciate the time. I know this is, uh, again, I don't know how you're feeling. Maybe you're just numb. Maybe you're just, like he said, you have a feeling of resignation. I would say to enjoy the game tonight, enjoy game seven on Monday night, but I feel like, even that feels disingenuous. So we just got to say, we appreciate the time and the insight. And I say this with all, all sincerity. I do wish your team the very best of luck in game seven tonight. I don't, I don't it just think comes be... off so like, I don't know. Like, I know you're being sincere. I and like, I wish you the best of luck. I, no, I, I didn't say it like that. <laughs> Sorry, your team's a trash fire. Good luck today. <laughs> I, I am numb. <laughs> I think even if they win, I won't be happy because of the years they took off my life to get to this point. What a beautiful thing. Yeah. We love sports, don't we? Sports are the best. Sports. I can't remember the last time I felt that crushed. Do you guys remember when the Penguins lost to the Flyers before their before they went on the back-to-back run and people were like, oh, God, I think their window's over, and people were just yeah. burning their jerseys? Mm, Fandom's they, fun. It's great. That's that's when Everyone's that, fine. That's when Giroux <laughs> – pushed Crosby around in yeah. whatever game six mm-hmm. of that series. Yeah. And people were like, oh my gosh, the, yeah, the Penguins are done. They're done. They're Their windows closed. The Flyers, yeah. supremacy, get rid of Crosby, trade Malkin. And then they won two back to back. Yeah. I don't feel as hopeful. No, <laughs> you'll be fine. You'll survive. Awesome. Do some weird, I don't know, superstitious thing. Like, don't do whatever you did the last two games. Oh, absolutely. Um, I have so many things planned. Um, number ooh. one, yeah, I'm tell gonna us. Have, I'm going to have chicken wings tonight because that's what they won. That's what I ate during the 
game three or four where they had like a four nothing shutout. So that is extremely important. Uh, gonna have some tequila on hand in case the Leafs go down because the rally tequila did work. I just ran out of tequila for overtime. The last thing I'm going to do, um, you will see it on Twitter later, is I'm going to have a mustache. I'm going to support uh, Austin. G- Austin, because he's done nothing. So in solidarity, I'm going to shave the rest of my beard and have a very, very weak mustache. This is incredible. Why weren't this we leading with this? is the content we need. Yeah, I don't, mm-hmm. like, why did it take, if anyone's still <laughs> listening to the podcast, tell your friends to listen to the entire yeah. podcast because we really buried the lead 30 T- minutes into totally. this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm going to tweet my sad, pathetic mustache And can you link the podcast episode with the tweet? A little bit of cross promotion. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll see. <laughs> use your platform. I love it. Mm-hmm. And then what's what's the plan? <laughs> what's the plan with the facial hair after Game Seven? Like, let's say you have to keep it. Well, no, but what if I, they I, lose? I, if they lose, do you just shave and now you start fresh, or the stash is going to just live on for a bit? Uh, I'll have to ask my girlfriend. Yeah, it depends what uh, <laughs> what Kalesy, Kaylee says. Kalesy, it's a new nickname. Kalesy. Kelsey? Oh, God. It's too similar. Let's cut it now. Awesome. <laughs> Time to go. Okay, Dom. <laughs> Enjoy game seven. I won't. All right, Haley. I can't wait to see the picture of Dom with his his stash at some point tonight. A, a half, I'm a little scared. A, a half bottle of tequila, some chicken wing sauce. And, uh, oh man, that's going to be, that's yeah. quite the, the image there, but you know, his one, poor girlfriend, they oh, just went Twitter official I and s- she's going to see the I, stash and be like, Ooh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we made a mistake. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, he's <laughs> no. going to be ridiculed for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky Jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you used your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. You know, one thing Dom talked about was that dominance of, of Vegas mm-hmm. in game. Oh, sorry, of uh, of the Avalanche of Vegas in Game One. Yeah, and 
look, I think all of us were, if we had to pick one playoff series that we wanted to see unequivocally this spring, uh, I think a lot of us would have picked Vegas, Colorado. I think um, Vegas, Colorado felt like this could be the Stanley Cup. These could be the best two teams. And then game one was a joke. Like Nate McKinnon looked like he was playing like up uh, or, or sorry, playing down a level. And yeah. it, it, it just was uh, men against boys. And the reason why I bring this up is I think a lot of people, Haley, were really surprised that Peter DuBois started Robin Leonard mm-hmm. in game one. Yeah. And I thought, I wonder, do you think that there's any, would you buy into the theory, Haley, that maybe Peter DeBoer's like, man, we just came off a seven-game series. I think we're probably going to, we're going to be up against it. Let's throw our backup in. If we win, great. If we lose, well, now our number one guy is fresh and ready for game two. Like, what, what do you think of the theory of starting essentially your backup goalie in game one of a huge series against your, your arch rivals? Yeah, I mean, I get it because I think that, you know, if we look at last season, um, Robin Leonard was the starter and we were having this conversation of what's next for Marc-Andre Fleury um, because Robin Leonard was, you know, he'd really taken control of the crease in Vegas. Um, And I think for the Golden Knights, they believe that they truly have a 1A and 1B tandem. They have two starting goaltenders that they can go to on any night. And if we look at the body of work that Marc-Andre Fleury had in the last couple of weeks with the series against Minnesota, um, I mean, it went to seven games. Fleury played, I, I think it was seven games in 14 days. The game seven was a very emotional game um, for that team. So I, I can understand why the coach was thinking, um, you know, Peter DeBoer, I say the coach, but, you know, I can understand why DeBoer was saying like, yeah, let's just go to our back. Let's go to our quote unquote backup. And I think in the post game, he even said he didn't call him a backup. He said, let's go to our other starter. You know, this isn't the Colorado Avalanche getting bumped down to their third-tier goalie in Mike Hutchinson when when both of their starter and their backup got injured um, in last season's playoffs. Like, they have a 1A-1B tandem, and they probably thought, yeah, Fleury probably needs a little bit of a break. I think if you asked Marc-Andre Fleury if he wanted to play, he would say, yes, I want to play, because um, he's that kind of goaltender who likes that big body of work, and he always wants to play. Um, but, you know, I think for Vegas, it was just – we believe that we have two good goalies and obviously the game didn't go well for them, but I don't think you can look at that game and say Robin Leonard was the problem. I think that the team wasn't very good in front of him. Um, Obviously Leonard didn't play great, but I don't think really anyone on Vegas played great. So, you know, while you can look at the goaltending performance and think maybe if it was flurry in the net, we would have fared a little bit better, but I don't think the group in front of the goalie, whoever it was, played in a way that they would be able to stop McKinnon from playing the way he did and and, um, and Kale McCarr from playing the way that he did and that team from just dominating them start to finish. Yeah, and, and a 7-1 win for the Avs in the opener. Does this change your perception of the series at all, Haley? Like, I'll be honest, I came into this series saying, I, I feel like this could go seven games. Like, if I had to pick the one series out of round two that I feel like is most likely to go seven, I think... You know, Carolina-Tampa would be on the list. I think Boston-The Islanders is pretty evenly matched. I thought for sure, Haley, if you had told me before Sunday, they're going to go seven. Now I'm not so sure. Now I feel like, boy, I could see the Avalanche maybe winning in six. And I'm saying that as a guy who picked Vegas to win the Stanley Cup. So does the opener change your perception of that series and think, yeah, maybe this this won't be the great seven-game series that we thought it might be? Um, I think that, and this might sound like a very obvious answer, but I really do think it depends on how game two goes. I think if we see a Vegas team that has completely just flushed it, 
they've wiped the memory clean. You've got to have that short 12-hour memory um, in in hockey, but the playoffs specifically. Um, if they can just flush it and move on and come back stronger in game two, then I think maybe this this could be a real series. Um, but I think if you see another complete domination, you're probably looking at a Vegas team who feels – I mean, if you get – I think Colorado, the way that they've been dismantling teams – I don't have the number right in front of me, but I read um, from Jesse Granger, uh, I believe the Avs have outscored their opponents like 28 to 6. And if they just continue to add on to that, and let's say it was 7-1 yesterday, let's say they win like 4-2, and they've just outscored Vegas to that kind of degree two games in, you're probably looking at a team who struggles a bit more to flush it and move on for a game three. Um, So I think you know, you never want to say that game two is a must win, but I think the way that they come out in game two is going to tell us a lot about how this series progresses. I think I, in our predictions that we do at The Athletic, I forget what I did, but I think I said abs in five. Oh, wow. Okay. Or maybe, well, maybe six. You knew, I did five or six. I didn't say seven. Than, yeah. Okay. Just because well, Nathan Vegas. McKinnon's on like crazy, like NHL 21, like he's playing on the easy mode, you know? Yeah. Like it's like someone who's really good at, I play FIFA, not NHL. I don't know why, but the NHL game is like 10 times harder for me than FIFA. But that would be like me playing FIFA, and I'm not even that good. But let's say you're like an expert at FIFA, and then you play on easy mode, and you just score like 50 goals a game. That's what Nathan McKinnon's doing right now. It looks like he's an expert playing on the easy level when he should be playing expert. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's something to behold where he's uh, he's elevated his game. And, you know, we had some... Obviously, Toronto-Montreal, big storyline of the weekend. Colorado-Vegas, big storyline of the weekend. I would argue, though, Haley, biggest storyline of the weekend had nothing to do with the playoffs. Seth Jones, according to reports. we got to give Elliot Friedman um, credit mm-hmm. on this one. Elliot, first to report this. Yeah. Our Aaron Portsline had a, a great write-up as well on the weekend. But Seth Jones has made it known he does not plan to sign an extension with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Has a final year left on his deal, Haley, and then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. So... Here we go again. Like we, we talk about fan bases that we feel bad for all the time, right? Buffalo fans, Vancouver fans, Ottawa fans, uh, heck, Toronto fans. Depending on your, you know, depending on, on where on, you're on, from, on, <laughs> depending on where you're from, how you feel misery for people. But boy, I I think we all feel something for Columbus fans because they have watched star player after star player leave. And what I think is interesting on this one, Haley, I think a lot of people looked at some of their problems, like with. Let's look at Pierre-Luc Dubois, for example, and say, like, man, I wonder if John Tortorella wasn't there, would Dubois have, have stayed? Well, now Torts is out of the equation, and guys are still asking to get off the island. So, like, like what's your read into this one, especially now that we know this is not a coaching-related issue in, in, in Columbus with Seth Jones? Yeah, and it's so tough. I think you just look, like you said, at some of the players who've left um, either demanding a trade, like Pierre-Luc Dubois, um, but then you look at the free agents who've left as well. And and I think, you know, you had Matt Duchesne leave. You had Sergei Bobrovsky leave. You had Artemi Panarin leave. Um, I mean, that's just a ton of talent either being asked to leave or just walking out the door. And I know just a couple of uh, weeks ago, um, Aaron Portsline did a great piece with the headline Panarin 2.0, Blue Jackets willing to keep Seth Jones into 2021-22. So the thing is with Seth Jones, he's not a UFA this summer. He's an unrestricted free agent after next season. And the way that it looks like the Jackets have operated in the past and they were hoping to operate this year was to keep them 
through the final year of their contract without an extension, which would essentially lock them to free agency. And with Panarin, Bobrovsky, and Duchesne, they, you know, said, okay, we're not going to sign them. Let's play out this last year of their contract. And then they just walked. And so the expectation on the Blue Jackets side was that they were going to do that again. Um, but then this report came out on Seth Jones, and now the Jackets are in this situation where it's, um, you know, I think Aaron Portsline just did another piece. And can we just also say how great of a job Portsline does on yeah. this beat? He has been on every single thing. I mean, just the foreshadowing in some of his pieces too. Like, he's just on it, and he's hands down one of the best hockey writers out there, in my opinion. Um, and we definitely should try to get him on the show. Um, but he had a piece saying, changed plans, Blue Jackets likely to trade Seth Jones without a contract extension. So it does look like they're going to change the way that they've operated in the past, which is risking that final season. Um, and it looks like the Jackets might um, try to deal him, you know, this summer, probably around um, the NHL draft before free agency opens. Um, you know, a lot of those kind of big trades in the summer happen on draft day. So it looks like we could see something there. And I, I just, I don't know what my take is on this because I liked Columbus. I've been there. I went there on the road with the Sens. I think I've said it before. And um, I like the city of Columbus. I think it is, um, you know, it's a pretty low-key hockey town. And I think one of the things we can go back to was, you know, the former Blue Jackets on what's going wrong in Columbus. And again, Portsline, this has just turned into the Leafs slash Portsline show. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Portsline had that amazing piece where he went and talked to former players in Columbus who played in the Kekalainen, um, Tortorella era, who played in Columbus, who left on good terms. So they don't have an axe to grind. They're not just out there trying to grill the organization. And they um, have played in other NHL cities and they kind of went through their experience in Columbus, what they've experienced in other places, what's gone wrong and what they would change. And some of the really big pieces that stood out to me was that Columbus isn't the town or the city where you go and play and you're a rock star. And that's what some of these young players want. You have these young studs. I think one of the players in this piece said, when you're getting drafted into the NHL, a lot of these guys don't want to get drafted to Columbus. They want to get drafted to Boston, New York, Toronto, Montreal, where they're just a rock star and they're viewed like that. Whereas in Columbus, you go out for a drink, no one's going to recognize you. Maybe maybe a couple of times you'll get recognized, but you're not the king of the town. Um, and that's a little bit on the city, maybe a bit on the organization for not marketing their players as such. Um, you know, I think Artemi Panarin, Pierre-Luc Dubois, they weren't marketed as like the guys in Columbus. And so I think there's a little bit of an element to that, whereas, you know, it's not the biggest hockey city, um, whereas these guys would prefer to, to be the guy in their town. Um, so I think that's a part of it. And, and one of the things that really stood out to me, too, in this piece was, you know, if you're Columbus and you know that you aren't like you're again, I love Columbus, like I really like the city, but you're not Toronto, you're not Montreal, you're not Miami, you're not New York City, you're not Boston. And so what you need to do is give players other reasons to want to be there instead of saying, I want to go to a bigger, better city. There has to be incentives to keep players. And that's what some of these players in the piece said to Portsline was there just isn't that incentive. Um, you know, the RFA negotiations, they were saying that Kekalainen really grinds them down to save money, which is the general manager's job. 
but they're not exactly paying their restricted free agents enough for them to say, okay, so why would I take a hometown discount to stay here when Boston, Toronto, New York, Miami is willing to pay me more and that's a better city and I can make more money? Like there's no incentive to stay. So I think that's a big part of it is these guys want to be the man. They want to be the king. They want more money. They want to be treated like they are the star of the show. Um, that was one of the really big takeaways that I gathered from this piece. Because, again, I don't think it's the city of Columbus's fault. I think it's just they're not getting enough to make it worth staying there. Because if they don't want to be there to begin with, then they're not getting enough to want to stay. Why would they want to stay? Yeah. And now, to me, I look at this and Seth Jones has a limited no-trade clause in his deal. Meaning he can submit a list of 10 teams that he doesn't want to go to. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, Haley, I would imagine it's going to be open season. It, 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 like, I think if you're a general manager in the league, I, I, I can't think of how many GMs wouldn't kick the tires on Seth Jones. But yeah. we're also going into an offseason, Haley, where Jack Eichel could be on uh, the move as well. Yeah. And I think, wow, like, like if you're the GM of a team, would you be more interested in Eichel Ooh. or Seth Jones? Like, it's yeah. a great question because I think, I mean, obviously it depends on the needs of your team, but yeah. very it's very rare that a generational centerman and a dominant defenseman mm -hmm. would both be on the market in their 20s at the same time. But we're going to see that happen this year. And mm -hmm. I it, I think it would be really interesting to see how many teams are, are in or out on Seth Jones and Jack Eichel. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question, and I'm and I'm not sure because I think we can say that Seth Jones has been a perennial Norris candidate. I think he's been one of the top defensemen. I think he was pretty underrated for a little bit, but I mean, he's he's up there in terms of you know the top tier of D in the league. Um, but I think you know Jack Eichel with his injuries and what's happened in Buffalo aside, he's also one of the best centers in the league. So you have two really elite pieces in very different positions. And like you said, Ian, I think it'll depend on what you need. Um, you know, if there's a team who is in dire need of a number one center, they're maybe going to be. But they have um, they already have a number one and number two defenseman. They're probably going to be more interested in somebody like Jack Eichel. Um, it's not like they're not going to want someone like Seth Jones, but again, it, it's going to depend on how much it's going to cost. Are you willing to give up the farm for Seth Jones when you already have a top defenseman? Um, I think those are the questions that are going to be had in different front offices for sure. But I mean, if we, if we look at like the Calgary Flames, for example, um, I think that's a team who would probably kick the tires on both of those players. Um, I know I already wrote a piece about Jack Eichel. Um, I think he would probably, you know, I do believe that the, the Flames would be interested in that. I think most teams would be. Um, and I think they'd be interested in Seth Jones as well. I mean, they have Chris Tanev, <clears throat> Noah Hannafin, Mark Giordano, Rasmus Anderson. They have a solid top four, um, but Gio's going to be 38 next year. And we don't know if he's going to go to Seattle. And, you know, Rasmus Anderson and Noah Hannafin are only 24 years old, so it's pretty those are two pretty young players to be saying, like, you've got to be ready to be our number one pair. So I think Seth Jones would be of interest for the Flames in any team. I mean, what about you with the Sens? Like, if you're the Ottawa Senators, who are you knocking on the door first? I'm sure they probably, I mean, they would have to give up way too much for Jack Eichel. And you have so many D prospects, but. And why would Buffalo trade Eichel within the division? I can't see it. If you're yeah. Buffalo, you get this guy the heck away from you. But also, if you're, like. I think if you're any Canadian-based team, 
Don't you feel like, Haley, anytime you see a, a player has a no-trade clause, it's to 10 teams? And it's first of all, it's the seven Canadian teams. They're not going to the Sens. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ottawa, Ottawa, Edmonton. Winnipeg. Winnipeg, one, two, three. Uh, Calgary's probably four. The only reason why Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver might not be on there is it, it, Vancouver would be the lifestyle geography. Toronto, Montreal would be the historical element. But – even then, a lot of players are like, I don't want to deal with that. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it, I think it depends on your situation. But, boy, I, I, I think Eichel's a little bit different because he doesn't control where he goes this year. No. His no-trade clause doesn't kick in until 2022. So the Sabres are probably going to have a little bit more leverage there. But I think it's, uh, it's going to be really fascinating to watch how that unfolds. And, and who knows? Like, uh, we could see some other big names available – in the offseason. Like it might not just stop with Seth Jones and, and Jack Eichel, right? And in the flat cap world, mm-hmm. boy, this could be really interesting. Yeah, I'm interested to see what this offseason looks like. Um, you know, we're going to be in a flat cap for probably at least another three years. Um, I know the league just signed some big TV deals, but, you know, <laughs> there's a ton. I, just this, the impact of this last 15 months in this pandemic is you know, been huge financially. So I think we're probably going to be in this flat cap situation for quite a bit longer. Um, There's also the expansion draft. Um, So it's going to be really interesting to see. I think, you know, we've discussed before, I I don't know if GMs are going to make as many side deals with Seattle this year after watching how good Vegas um, kind of became because they made so many side deals. Obviously, they drafted Wells too, but, you know, they made so many deals and obviously they went to the Stanley Cup final. Um, so I think some GMs are going to be a little bit more tentative in making deals with Seattle because they don't want to just see another team go right to the final again. I think they probably learned from what they did last time. Um, but it's going to be interesting. I think some general managers have said that they think there'll be some activity this year, certainly more than last offseason. I think last offseason free agency was a little bit more of a trickle effect than this big explosive free agent market because of the flat salary cap, the weird season. Like, how do you really analyze and evaluate your team after (laughs) your season lasted like 14 months and you basically had two off seasons packed into it. Like that break from March to August was like, it's a long time for the teams to be off. So I think last off season was a bit quiet, but I think we'll probably see a return to, you know, a more exciting summer um, in the NHL. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I asked you who's going to get more traction, Seth Jones, Jack Eichel, and that's the perfect kind of leaping off point, Haley, to wrap up the show with 
a little more. Uh, multiple choice madness. So here you go, Haley. We got a couple of questions to wrap up this Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And let me start with this one. And it kind of ties into Seth Jones. Which NHL franchise right now, Haley, has the biggest reputation for not being able to keep their own star players? Is it A, the Columbus Blue Jackets, B, the Ottawa Senators, or C, the Buffalo Sabres? Who's got the biggest reputation right now where, man, you can't hang on to your own players? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say based on the quality and quantity in such a short period of time, I'm going to say the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, I know the Sens, you know, had that fire sale. They did come out and say, hey, we're rebuilding. So a lot of that was expected. They were going to, you know, tear it all down. And I mean, there was so many players that left. And I know that was painful for fans. I mean, you just go across the board from 2017 to this season, um, I think Colin White's the only player left on the roster who played one game in that playoff series. Is that right? In Ottawa? Yeah, and he only played, he played one, one game. game in that series. So from 2017 to now, that entire roster's gone. And, and there was some, like those weren't insignificant pieces who are now gone. Bobby Ryan, Craig Anderson, Eric Carlson, Mark Stone, J.G. Pajo, Mark Borowiecki. I mean, the whole roster's gone. And those were pieces that were considered to be core pieces for for quite some time in Ottawa. So I think the Sens are up there. But, I mean, the Columbus Blue Jackets have lost Panarin, Bobrovsky, Duchesne. Um, I mean, even Ryan Johansson, um, Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I just – I know everything I just said about Ottawa, but I, it's just got to be Columbus for me. It's funny. I mean, Buffalo fans will tell you they're they're probably in the in the mix too, right? They've lost like yes. Ryan O'Reilly, and then you know obviously now Jack Eichel. But I think Ottawa might like Columbus might win on the recency thing. Yeah. But boy, Haley, if you stretch this out a little bit further, you go Ottawa and you say like Danny Heatley yeah. passed out. Yeah. Daniel Alfredson ended up not sticking around. Jason Spezza said, you know, I think you should trade me. Like. You start to go down the list and you say, boy, in the last 10, 11 years, they haven't been able to keep anybody. But uh, it's tough because Columbus right now, they have – it feels like they have the reputation problem more so right now than, than Ottawa does. But it's a, it's a flip of the coin for me on that one. All right. Question number two, Haley, in multiple choice madness. If – and this is a big if. We're recording this leading up to game seven <laughs> of the Toronto-Montreal series. Haley, if the Toronto Maple Leafs lose – this series, who ends up taking the most heat? Who wears the goat horns or whatever you want to say? Who's the scapegoat if Toronto loses the series? Is it A, Austin Matthews, B, Mitch Marner, C, Kyle Dubas, or D, Sheldon Keefe? I'll go first on this one. Haley, it feels like the people are turning on Mitch Marner. It, 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 like a little bit. It feels like people are saying, oh, Austin is hurt. Mitch Marner just looks like he doesn't want to pay the price. So to me, I'm feeling like Marner's going to pay the price. I think it's 15 or 16 straight playoff games without a goal. Yeah. And it starts to ele- – like to me, that's the guy – I feel and I feel like William Nylander is like, see you later, guys. I'm no longer uh, in the crosshairs. It feels like it's a Marner-Matthews thing. And I, I tend to feel like Marner's getting more of the heat there. But that's just me. What about you? Yeah, I think some of it with Marner comes down to not just what the stat sheet is saying. It's just the general way that he's been playing. Um, I also think a lot of it has to do with some of the comparisons early on. 
Like it all goes back to these contract negotiation problems and the holdouts, right? I think William Nylander held out of his contract and he like breathes a little heavily and people are like, get rid of him. (laughs) Whereas Mitch Marner did the exact same thing, except he's a hometown product. He spoke about how it was his dream to play for the Leafs. This is my team, et cetera, et cetera. And then he did the contract holdout, except after that, I think, I think Mitch Marner has gotten a free pass for a really long time because he's the hometown kid. And I think a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people have been critical of Mitch Marner um, until maybe this season. And I'm sure there has been people critical of him, but I mean, to the magnitude that they critique a player like William Nylander, it just hasn't been the same. And I think it's starting to kind of catch up and people are saying, you know, not only is he not playing great, but... (laughs) Like, look at William, who we've been crapping on for years. William's playing harder. I mean, people talk about Nylander not being gritty enough. And, I mean, he scored on the doorstep. He's digging in the corners. Um, And we're not really seeing that from Mitch Marner. I mean, we talked about with Dom. We're seeing him shoot the puck over the glass. He hasn't scored. Um, He's been in the penalty box. And I just – maybe he's gripping the stick a little too tight. Maybe there's too much pressure. Um, I think it's a little bit of that. It's probably a bit of not playing the right way. He's just trying to do too much. Um, and that's just not how you're going to be successful in the playoffs. I just think you need to play a certain way. The playoffs, maybe we haven't seen it in this division or, or these games yet, but you watch some of the other games and the other conferences that Florida-Tampa, there's some skill. Like Braden Point's shown some skill, but the playoffs are harder, faster. People are You play a different way in the playoffs. And it sounds so cliche, and I don't say this to sound like old school saying you need tough guys on your team, but I do think that it's there's less space, there's less time, it's harder, and it's faster. And I just think that, you know, Mitch Marner's game, he just hasn't played – he just hasn't played in a way that <laughs> – clearly he hasn't been successful because he doesn't have a goal in the last 16 playoff games. So I don't know what it is. I think it's maybe a bit of pressure. It's maybe a bit of playing style. And I, and I don't say all this to say that Austin has, you know, he gets a free pass either because Austin's only scored one goal and this is coming off of a Rocket Richard season. But I would probably be more critical of Mitch Marner than anyone that you listed there. And certainly I think Kyle Dubas has given this team enough to get it done. Um, I think it's on the players now to do it. All right, Haley. One last question, multiple choice madness here. To wrap up the show, uh, let's say you're starting a playoff series from scratch right now. You get to choose one player that you get to start your series with in a best of seven. Who is Haley taking right now? Your options are A, Connor McDavid, B, Nate McKinnon, C, Sidney Crosby, or D, I'm going to spice it up and throw in the red-hot Andre Vasilevsky, who won a Stanley Cup last year with Tampa. He's been terrific to start the playoffs. Haley, you could have one player to start a series with. McDavid, McKinnon, Crosby, Vasilevsky. Who you got? Nathan McKinnon. Like, I don't – I mean, look, I think Connor McDavid, and Dom said it, he's in a tier of his own, but McKinnon elevates his game in the playoffs. He's been an absolute beast – it's not the first time he's played like this in the postseason. Um, he's got that fire. He's got that drive. He's a really passionate and emotional player. We see it all the time on the ice. We saw it with the helmet toss. I mean, I know that was not good, and I think he got fine for it. But this is a player who has that spark and the energy, and he really has that drive to win, and we see it on the ice. Like We see the way that he leads. We see the way that he plays, and he shows up. 
and the Avalanche benefit for it. I think Connor McDavid is incredibly skilled, um, but I can't look at that group and look at McDavid and his postseason success and say, I want. Uh, it's a tough one because he's. I I still think McDavid is the best player in the world, but I would take Nathan McKinnon. <laughs> I just can't I, look at what he does and say, nah. Yeah. You know, he's just no, so I, good. Same with Vasilevsky. I know, and you know what? I think that's where I'm headed. I, I might take Vasilevsky only because I, I look at this Haley, and I, I don't know that there's a ton to pick. Like like you said, McKinnon in the postseason seems to elevate his game, so maybe he kind of draws even with. McDavid, but the way that Vasilevsky has played the last kind of couple of postseasons, winning the cup last year, uh, being so good for them against Florida, I'd be hard pressed not to take the goalie. And and I think he's so good, he's so cool and calm and athletic and all this stuff. And now that he's done it, I might take Vasilevsky, which sounds crazy over McDavid yeah. or uh, McKinnon or even Crosby. But boy, oh boy, yeah. I think I might go Vasilevsky. And I think it should be said like. If McDavid was on the Avs and McKinnon was on the Oilers, maybe we would feel a different way. Maybe it would be undoubtable, unquestionable I would take Connor McDavid because look what he's done in the postseason with the Avs, you know? But it, we have a we have different bodies of work that we can look at and what we see from McKinnon right now is something that's more desirable when you're thinking, I've got a playoff series to win. Who do I want? We know that McKinnon shows up. We know that he's won. I mean, he doesn't want a Stanley Cup, but... You know, look at what he just did in the last series. Look at what he did in that last game. Um, whereas McDavid, we can see how skilled and how talented he is, but you don't look and see a bunch of playoff success. And I'm not saying that's Connor McDavid's fault, but I'm just saying that's what's maybe leading us to these kind of decisions because it probably seems crazy that we're not picking the best player in the world for yeah. a playoff series. But we can only make the decisions based on what we've seen. And we've seen these other two players be more successful in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. It's Please like, hey, baseball. <laughs> I, hey, for, for years in baseball, Clayton Kershaw was the best pitcher, but in the playoffs, he was just kind of like average, right? And people are like, I don't want that guy in the playoffs. And so I get it. So I understand. I think yeah. that's kind of our, our, our approach on that. All right, Haley, we are uh, right out of time. How about this, Haley? Uh, the, the, the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, they're really leading into this Team USA that Sean the Gentilly. they use every freaking week. Yeah. So how about this? Coming up on the Athletic Hockey Show on Tuesday, wait for it, their guest, it's Team USA Captain Justin Abdelkader from the Worlds. Like, come on, guys. We They're get really it. leading into we this USA it. thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, we're from Canada. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, that's coming up uh, Tuesday, the Athletic Hockey Show, uh, Team USA edition, Custis Gentili, uh, Burnside and LeBron, they got the two-man advantage of this in the show Wednesday. And then Haley... How is how am I going to do this show with Down Goes Brown on Thursday? If man, that's that why might you be want some must to tune win. in listening. <laughs> yeah, either way, it's going to be fun. This was fun, Haley. I uh, hope you uh, hope you have a great week, and uh, we'll do this again next Monday, and then we'll finally know the the teams that are uh, the final eight teams that are in the uh, the second round. Great, thanks, Ian. Uh, good luck to you. I mean, when I say good luck to you, I mean good luck for the Leafs because you'll have to deal with my nemesis. I know, this your week. nemesis, Sean Mackey. Yeah. Uh, but hey, listen, thanks everybody for listening to this uh, latest edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and a review. We certainly would appreciate that. And a reminder, you can get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.
Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.